Good morning. It is an honor and a privilege to be here today and to worship with you and to study a portion of God's Word with you today. Don't worry, we're not singing the opening song again, but the title of our study this morning is Make Me a Servant. We sing that song uh, quite a bit. Apparently we sang it last week as well. And it's one of my favorite songs. It's, it's pretty simple. It's straightforward. And it's got a pretty clear message. Make me a servant. So this morning, I want to look at a little bit of what that means. The who, what, when, where, why, and how of being a servant. So what is a servant? Uh, the Greek word for servant is diakonos, uh, which is a deacon, one who, by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, cares for the poor and has charge of and distributes the money collected for their use. So, our office of a deacon, that word means servant. That doesn't mean that they are the only people who serve in the congregation, but they are to be lead servants among many, among, among a congregation of servants. Not that that's you know, their, their only job, because we are all to be servants with them. See, the, the rest of these definitions here, uh, servant is one who executes the commands of another, a waiter, one who serves food or drink, or the servant of a king. See, we are all servants because we are all called to serve a king. So who is it that serves? We mentioned the deacons as an elected official for that office of serving. But Jesus himself was not above serving either because his purpose when he came to this world was not to be served, but to serve. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28, said that Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus gave up a, a throne and a crown in heaven to come down and be a, a servant, to be a slave to us, to fulfill the will of his Father. And so none of us should be above any kind of service as well. We see in John chapter 13 that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and when he had completed this, and put on his garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus makes it pretty clear here that we are to be servants and serving each other. You know, even if it's to the point of you know, washing someone's dirty, filthy, grimy feet. Because that's the example that he gave to us. That none of us are above being a servants, but that we are all called to serve in whatever capacity we are capable. So now who do we serve? See, the first step in becoming a servant 
is choosing a master. And in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 16, says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. See, a decision has to be made on what master we are going to serve, what God we are going to serve. Are we going to continue to to serve the gods of of sin that have kept us uh, trapped and captive and enslaved our whole lives? Or are we going to make the decision that Joshua and the children of Israel made here, that we will not forsake the Lord and serve other gods, forsake the Lord and serve other gods, but will choose the Lord? In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. See, we have to make the same decision as Joshua in choosing between you know, our God, the God, or the God of the desires of this world. See, he uses money as the example. Right here, you cannot worship God and money it goes on uh, in a few later verses to say that the Pharisees who he's talking to, he used that because they had a lust for money. So I want you to put whatever your deepest desire is here. You cannot serve God and adultery. You cannot serve God and lies. You cannot serve God and pride. In John chapter 12, it says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. For if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We have to choose to follow Jesus and live a life according to his examples so that we can be called his servant and be where he is. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, again, Jesus here telling us who our one master is supposed to be, that again, when the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, even tempted with all of the, the richly possessions that, you know, that could be had on earth, especially knowing his fate was to suffer and die at the hands of these people who's coming to save, I could see that being a big temptation. That's a lot of, you know, pretty, pretty stuff that could be had. But Jesus rebukes Satan and shows us today that we have to rebuke Satan when he tempts us with our deepest desires of, of power or, uh, or money or whatever that may be, or whatever our deepest desire is that we rebuke Satan, cast him aside, because we only serve the one true God. So we know we're supposed to choose God and serve him. So how do we actually um, physically go about serving him? In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, 
it says, Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least my brothers, you did it to me. You see, we serve Christ by serving each other. Now that can mean physical blessings and you know helping someone physically it can mean spiritually being there for someone praying with somebody studying with somebody but whatever the case may be we need to be looking for every opportunity that we can to help others because that's how we're going to be pleasing to god and how we serve him is by serving others and serving each other and we can't do that if we're caught up in, in ourselves and only looking at what we've got going on. In John chapter 4, verse 34 to 35, says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You see, we're supposed to be serving every chance that we get, because we're supposed to be looking opportunities. You know, it's, it's pretty common nowadays. I've seen lots of memes about people, you know, being on their phone in, in public and they'll say, oh man, back in, the and back in the 30s, no one would have been on their phones or whatever. People are always, you know, looking at their phones, just kind of locked into whatever they've got going on and they're not looking to the needs of the world around them. But that's what we are called to do, to look up and see that the, real, the fields are ripe for harvest because there's a lot of work to do and there's lots of opportunities to serve. So where are these opportunities? For as many as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members, of, members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our ser serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. See, as a body of believers, as a congregation, one of our opportunities to serve is in the congregation, whether that means in the assembly, in one of the aspects of worship, or in service to the congregation. You know, we're going to have uh, a potluck here in the between services, and maybe your talent is, is making a meal, providing food, being of service to others. So we need, to be, we need to be working and serving in the church, but that's not where it stops. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 to 13, it says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to, to many thanksgivings to God. But the approval of His service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. 
Now, I think it's pretty, pretty easy, at least it is for me, to get stuck in, okay, what can we do here? What can we do at the church? What can we do for the congregation? But that's not where it's supposed to stop. We should have so much service, so much giving, so much love in this congregation that it's overflowing and spreading out into the community. By being servants in the community, the love of Christ is demonstrated in our example. And we are able to bring a blessing to ourselves and to God and to others through this service. And this is also an opportunity for us to share the gospel for those that we serve. If the mission of the church is to seek and save the lost, how can we find the lost if we're not looking in our community? Which leads us to why we serve. Some of the reasons why we're called to be servants. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that, but that of many, that they may be saved. So why do we serve? We've talked about it's to to please God, but it's also to win others to Christ by being an example of service in our community, and and building that influence and that relationship with people to bring them. To Christ. Now we're going to look at here in a second that we're not doing this for our own glory. We're not pleasing people so that we look good. We're pleasing people to win them to Christ so that God looks good. So why do we serve? It's for other people and it's not for ourselves. For, I am, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. You see, why we're doing what we're doing matters. Having the right heart in our service is important to God. We have to make sure that we're doing it not so we can be seen as, hey, look how humble and how good of a servant I am, but we're doing it with the heart to genuinely help others and to bring glory to God and to fulfill His royal law. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you are doing, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And also there in Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is ultimately why we serve. It's, it's a command by God, and we do it to be pleasing to Him, to fulfill His word and fulfill His commandments. By doing that, by being pleasing to Him and having the right attitude, we're also going to be pleasing to those around us and a good influence to bring them to Christ. The last aspect I want to look at this morning, last question that I want to answer, is how to be a servant. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and look at the mindset of Jesus that we're supposed to have in our service. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition <clears throat> or conceit, but in humility count others more sufficient than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So as in all things, Jesus is, of course, our example in how to be a servant. And his mindset is the main thing I want us to take away from today on how to be a servant. And looking at three things that he demonstrated, and that's humility, obedience, and love. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In 1 Peter 5, 5-6, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he, uh, he may exalt you. See, Jesus was willing to relinquish his crown and his glory to become just a human man like his brothers, like every single one of us. He, he sacrificed his life. He washed his disciples' feet. He, he healed the blind. He served mankind. And we need to be willing to put aside our pride and serve others. You know, we've given up so much less than Jesus did, yet we're less willing to serve. So we need to follow his example and being willing to cast aside our pride and do the work uh, that benefits Christ and the church. And through obedience. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9 in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and who was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, humility allowed Jesus to be obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. He demonstrated that level of obedience that, that we are supposed to have. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the same way that Jesus profited from his affliction, from his affliction we will benefit from our obedience because of his sacrifice. Now, he didn't want to go through any of that. He asked God to let this cup pass from him if it was his will. But, nevertheless, the cup didn't pass, and he submitted himself and was obedient to that death on the cross. And the last attribute I want to look at this morning is uh, the attribute of love, the love of Christ. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You know, Brother Danny, when he's, when he's preaching or talking at the table, he's mentioned it several times about the key to, uh, to Christianity. The key to being like Christ. And that's loving like Christ. If we have the love of Christ and we're you know, willing to die for our enemies, then we're going, we can't help but serve like Christ if we have that same love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 14 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, we see what love is and how we're supposed to express that to our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, this is the kind of love that we're supposed to have for each other, an unselfish, acting love that we're showing to each other through our acts of service. So in conclusion, I appreciate the, uh, the attention this morning and going through uh, this process of seeing the who, what, when, where, how, and why of being a servant. We've seen that a servant is devoted to a master and fulfilling their commandments. We are all called to be servants of God by serving each other, and that's how we fulfill that command. We're supposed to serve every chance we get because we're looking for opportunities both in the church and in the community. And we do this to fulfill the law of God and to follow the example of Jesus. And we do this all with the mindset of humility, obedience, and love for mankind. If you haven't chosen to become a servant of God, I implore you to make that decision today. Or if you have become a servant but have uh, found yourself being disobedient or an unfaithful servant and would uh, like to request prayers from the church, please come forward and have a seat on the front row as we stand and sing the song of invitation.